Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 248 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Clinton Mercury of Caustic Reality to chat about their horror adventure game, Infliction. But before we delve into that, let's see what else is under Kane and Rince's massive umbrella. And believe me, we need it these days, thanks to the torrential rain and storms and all sorts of climate issues. Anyway, Kenny Rince on Monday, covering the Galaxian series of video games. Yes, it, it never ceases to amaze me, the kind of, the, the, the spectrum of games that Kenny Rince covers. Anything from vast epic JRPGs to shoot-em-ups like Galaxian, an ancient one, no less. Wednesday, we have Sound of Playing, where we celebrate the musical scores of video games. Do have a listen to that. It's very, very relaxing and entertaining. Playwright on Thursday. A video game podcast with two people called Ryan who host and produce the show where they workshop video games based on the ideas sent to them by their listeners. It's fantastic. Do check it out. And of course, Friday's The Sausage Factory, but you knew that already. That's why you listen to this show now. At least I assume so. If you want to find out more about those podcasts and the one you're listening to now and also delve into the archives of every single episode for all of those shows, you can go to com, where not only you'll find the archives but also a lively forum. That's right, an actual active forum in 2019. Amazing. There's also a Twitch stream where we uh, actually air things on Fridays and Sundays now. Go to Kane and Rince. Um, just look up Kane and Rince in one word. Uh, with Twitch. In fact, you can go to twitch.tv forward slash Kane and Rince, and there's our channel. Follow it. And uh, yeah, um, I took a bit of a break this week because I was away 
at the at, at a, a gaming event. So I, but I will be back uh, this Sunday if you're listening to this now with a bit of a special. It's the Mega Drive Mini, which is finally arriving in Europe. So I'm doing a bit of a special on that. I was going to do uh, Star Glider on the Atari ST, but that's been pushed back because I forgot the Mega Drive Mini was coming out. So there it is. You can you know watch me fiddle around with that thing, uh, which is great. Now, if you want to chuck us some money, you can. You can subscribe to the Patreon page. That's Patreon forward patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rinse. If you do that, you can. Uh, there's only one tier. There's only one. It's one US dollar a month, and you get extra content. The extra content be Kane and Rinse episodes one week early and extended editions of those same episodes. It's very exciting. More than the normal edited down two hours. Also get special podcasts that are behind the paywall. For example, there's a PAX West 2019 podcast where myself and Ryan, uh, we uh, chat about our experiences at PAX West 2019. So I recommend that one. Yeah, a bit, bit of a special edition. There's also the platform specials we do. And currently, I do know that uh, the, the last one is the Amiga, which I think is going to come out for the public soon. And uh, they just recorded the one on the Dreamcast. It's very exciting. But it's enough about that. Shall we move on to the show where I chat to Clinton? From the past, that is. Uh, past me, if you'd be so kind. Thank you. Clinton. Hi, Chris. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> uh, my name's Clinton McCleary. I am an independent game developer and I am also a game designer. Uh yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell at the moment. <laughs> yes, and you've made a game called Infliction. Um, I have. It's, I love the word. It's not a word, but it is. It's just like, why isn't it a word? It's not one of those words which you just think, oh, it's, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's very strange. It's very strange. Uh, as a, as a yeah. Word. <laughs> so, um, yeah. How did you make your start making video games? Well, actually, I suppose it would have been around oh, 2013, I think. Um, I used to – I've been a gamer my whole life, and I grew up playing games, and, you know, I started with the Atari 2600 because I'm an old man, and, you know, went through the NES, SNES, you know, all the way through. And um, I suppose sometime around 2013, I was playing Far Cry 3. And while I was playing Far Cry 3, I was listening to a podcast called Podcast Beyond and I was playing with the map editor in Far Cry 3, and I was sitting there, and um, I was making my little maps that were really just for me. And I was listening to this podcast, which is, you know, a group of friends, I suppose, talking passionately about games with each other. And I realized at that point I didn't have any friends that played games or went into development or anything like that, completely different circle of friends. Um, listening to these podcasts was sort of my way of connecting with the broader community that I wanted to be a part of. Um, listening to these guys talk so passionately about it, I had decided at that point I wanted to go and study games. And it wasn't just so that I could make something that was a little bit more meaningful than a map editor that, you know, I'll make a map that only I'm playing on. Um, it was also to maybe get some friends and some people that were like-minded, you know, as part of my life. Um, So uh, I'd sort of had started thinking about that and 
not long after that, a game called Gone Home came out by Fulbright. And I played through Gone Home. And I decided at that point, like, this is what this is what I want to make. I want to make something like this. This is great. I'm enjoying the way this story is coming out. Um, I'm going to do it. So uh, at that point, um, I was also working as a designer at a telecommunications company at all places. And my job there was to design training. So I decided at this point that I was going to convince my job that I could design training that was like, you know, a 3D game basically that trains people in how to do things. And I was going to try and get my job to pay for my education in games and they agreed to it. And I got my start. I enrolled in a design certificate. Um, that was basically designed to have you build a project in Unity and I went through and I did that and that was great. Um, I completed my first sort of little game project there and that was really cool. Um, and I kind of caught the bug from there. Um, that wasn't enough for me. I went and, and studied programming as well. Uh, and after programming, I decided, well, the one discipline I haven't really touched on yet is art. So then I went and did a two-year art diploma. So I sort of ended up getting three qualifications. And while I was doing my art diploma, I started developing in function. That's amazing. That's that's uh, that's quite a story to be just inspired by a banter cast of podcasts for for video games, of which there are a number. Uh, and I know I listen to well one of them now. It's the, the computer game show. Thank you, gents. Very funny. Uh, and uh, it um, it's it's really extraordinary to be driven thinking. Well, I've got a great circle of friends, but none of them talk about. The intricacies of, of uh, you know, buying a commando. <laughs> I don't know what I plucked out my mind, mm. but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, and to then get involved involved with a job that uh, you know requires training, and you think, well, actually, if you gamification, which you probably did before that term even existed, uh, and, uh, and decided to you know, exploit the fact that. Uh, you know, I'm doing the thing. If I sort of do the thing that the way she, that this is the thing I actually want to do for a living, and uh, and, and all that, here we are with, with you sitting me talk, talking to me about infliction after all these years, and uh, it's, it's an extraordinary little tale. Which I love asking. That's why I love asking that question. It's one of my favourite questions. Is uh, how did you make your start? And uh, like you, I'm quite old, so I, I've been playing games for a very, very long time. Uh, although I had it in television, not in a 2600, because, yes, I was one of those kids. Uh, uh, television. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but um, apart from that, yeah, it's... Uh, it, and also you, you mentioned how you, know, you, you made a game to train, and I actually read somewhere about, you know, Choose Your Own Adventure books from, from those years back. That, that's an invention from a very, very long time ago, apparently. It's that they used it as scenarios for military exercises and stuff like that they would do the same kind of thing but they weren't you know treated as as books or toys or something they were treated as genuine tools to to for training of military personnel turns out oh wait actually this will make a good (laughs) this will make a good you know means to encourage kids to read and stuff and so yeah that's a good idea so yeah it's it's amazing how you know, games are born out of something else, something quite dry. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, when I was working at the telecommunications company, I was there. I, I guess I worked there for about eight years as a designer, and um, right. I used to design these training. And uh, designing training for a telecommunications company is pretty much as dry as it gets. Yeah. Um, yep. It's pretty hard to make any of the content interesting or to do anything yourself that's interesting. Uh-huh. But uh, any opportunity we could get to sort of, you know, gamify something. And I've never been a fan of the term gamification, but no, I understand I understand the need for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, anytime we did need to sort of gamify something, um, that was that was where I could jump in with my passion too. Because, uh, you know, for much of my career as a designer, I wasn't working directly on video games. So anytime I could sort of apply any sort of video game uh, methodology to my training material. I used to get awfully excited about it. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, as a creator of things, as you've already established, you most definitely are a creator of things. What do you think is your biggest influences? Um, I think. Uh, my biggest influences in terms of video games uh, would would have to be, you know, some of the some of the classic games that everyone sort of would harken back to. I mean, I grew up on Super Mario Brothers. Um, I remember being you know, eight years old and making my own Mario levels on paper. So um, it's definitely and you sort of still do that now with Super Mario Maker Two. <laughs> I know, I know. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's come such a long way. Um, and had that exist, had that have existed when uh, for eight year old me, uh, that would have absolutely blown my mind. Um, well, it, because, it still you know, blows my mind that way older than eight than eight years old. Uh, that, uh, well, absolutely, you know. yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty mind blowing and very inspirational too. And I think like a tool like Super Mario Maker as well makes you sort of appreciate just how much thought and design goes into the, um, you know, first-party Nintendo-designed levels that you get with a full-blown Mario game because um, they're expertly crafted. So, um, yeah, there's a level of appreciation I get out of that as well. But, um, yeah, look, uh, you know, um, yeah, Mario Brothers is a huge inspiration. I mentioned uh, Gone Home earlier, which was really the impetus for me getting into the industry. And Infliction itself is heavily inspired by that game so um that that's a pretty big and direct sort of inspiration as well um but personally like you know my biggest inspirations in and in, in, in you know like specifically speaking about genre here like horror movies have really been such a huge influence over me as a creator over the years i really enjoy them they're you know most of them are pretty fun and I just really enjoy the creativeness that goes into uh, that sort of thing, and uh, there's a lot of that sort of inspiration in my work as well. So, yeah. Fantastic answer. Uh, I've had many other guests sort of stumped with that question. Like, uh, <laughs> I did stumble I for the first second there. <laughs> you did, no, but you then like go, oh, I know where he's going with this, and you, you, you know, you came, you came with the goods. So, thank you. Uh, oh, the amount of times I've had to explain that. Remarkably nebulous question, <laughs> uh, but I think I can't. If I'm sitting here talking to someone who's created things, I can't not ask it. In my humble opinion, 
uh, especially when sure. I want to ask about you know them as as people. Uh, one of the things that makes them is their influences, whether we like it or not. We are absolutely we're not living in a bubble. Well, some people do by choice. So what what makes us up as people too is the experiences we've had in life, and so many of my experiences growing up were around video games and movies and the things that have influenced me today. So yeah, makes yeah. perfect sense. So. Next question, then. It, it does ramp up, I was <laughs> uh, But these five questions are always the same for every guest. Uh, regular listeners know this. So, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um, I would say there's quite, there's quite a few. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Uh, atop, atop this list is probably uh, Kojima. Okay. Um, kind of he, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah. There's there's a certain something he puts into his games that is just the right amount of weirdness for me. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel heavily inspired, and it comes out of like uh, a lot of a lot of characters he creates. In particular, like when you're playing his games, you come across boss characters. A lot of them have pretty intricate sort of backstories, and I find the stories to be highly inspirational. Uh, the characters themselves could carry a story alone. So when you get together a, a, a cast of characters that could all carry a story alone like that, it becomes, um, you know, it becomes a, it, like the world feels so large, if that makes sense, because all these characters are living and breathing almost. So, Yeah. That's the one thing he really understands more than most developers. Um, I know you understand it, so I'm not going to place you in this this this, uh, this uh, category. But it's people, damn it! That's, that's <laughs> the thing, you know. It's a really, really trite, you know, thing to say about story writing creation. But people are drawn to people, and if yeah. you, you know, no matter how, you know. Uh, actually objectionable these people may be in some cases or, or not you're drawn to them you want to know more about them what they do and who they are why they're doing these things and Kojima goes into that to extraordinary level of detail um, and, guys, and you know everyone has a purpose everyone has a story to tell how they got there and where they are and why they're there and why they're shooting, trying to shoot you in the face <laughs> or not as the case may be uh, well, that's why right. Is, you know, why is there a dancing monkey with with a with a nappy on? You don't know, but it's there, and it's, <laughs> it, it has a story as well. I don't um, usually think about the dancing monkey with a nappy on, but no. Um, <laughs> but so so many of the characters are kind of cool as well. What I would consider to be like, ah, oh, this is a, you know, this character is a really cool cat, or this squad of uh, this this whole squad that makes up an enemy that I'm facing right now. The whole concept of them is almost, it's so theatrical. It feels almost like, you know, when you watch the wrestling or something like that and the Undertaker's coming down to the ring and there's fog everywhere and there's all these theatrics that go along with all of it. So many of his characters feel that way. Um, just really heavy-handed with the theatrics and you got the backstory and the character. I just, I love all of it. The presentation is really inspiring to me. Yeah, no, no, good, good call, good call. 
And it all started with a strange penguin game on the MSX. <laughs> yes. Uh, you yes. did. And even there's some of his weirdnesses in that. Um, but yeah, when Kojima comes up, I always like to, to bring that up. It's, it's, just a, it's a great game. It's a good game. Yeah, I've, I've, I've not played it personally, but um, I, should, I should try to remedy that, actually. Yeah, so. I, I streamed it once. People were like, what the hell is this? Because it starts off like... <laughs> This looks very straightforward, and very quickly it descends into weirdness. Like, oh, all right, yeah, yeah. All <laughs> oh, right, yes, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. No, no, no. Yeah. It looks like a thing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not. It's, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, last question of the first half. Now, coming up, here we go. Uh, I'm legally obliged to ask this because this is a podcast about video games, so it is... What are you playing right now? Um, I don't get a lot of time to play anything. Um, uh, I got home from PAX West. I got myself a copy of Control. Right. I've played about 15 minutes of it and <laughs> fell asleep because I've been really jet-lagged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah that, that, that hurts, yeah. Yeah, and I'm working... I'm working at my publisher, so I have that, and I'm working on my own stuff, so kind of working two jobs as well. And, um, you know, I'm a father and a husband, and yeah. I have so much going on that, uh, yeah, when I sit down at the end of the night to play something, I'm usually pretty beat. But I do have a copy of Borderlands 3 here, and I'm excited to jump into that, but also terrified because I think it's probably like 100 hours long. So, yeah. I didn't choose to make it so, but anyway, that's uh, true. That's true. Yeah, Borderlands is like that. You can you can dive into the loot collecting if you like, or not. That's the case. <laughs> uh, true that. So, I mean, that's a perfectly valid question. Uh, valid point is that I'm not playing anything right now because I kind of too busy. But uh, I plan to play. Can I, I've had a lot of that on guests. I've had to say, oh, I plan to play this. <laughs> like, yes, I'm yeah. to play. You know. Link's Awakening. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, that that's av- that's available today here. So it is, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 something I'm excited to look at because I never played the original. So no, no, I, um, didn't, I didn't play it for very long. I, I played. I mean, the earliest Zelda I finished was Minish Cap, which is a really good game. Turns out was even made by De- Nintendo. Uh, sure, it was Capcom. Like, oh, really? Yeah, he did it. That's <laughs> yeah, it's it. interesting. I yeah, I think the earliest Zelda game I finished is uh, Zelda Two, which is really difficult to finish. Right. Um, and I didn't finish it until uh, it was available on the Virtual Console. It was one of those games I played as a kid that I could never finish. Then I got on the Virtual Console, had save states. I finished it. <laughs> of course. Because, you know, that's that's how people roll these days. It's fine. fine. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, but we're, 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 if it was back then, a kid like, can you save it off? Yes, go, go, because then he can finish the damn thing. Uh, imagine doing, you know, ghosts and goblins with that. Like, yeah, finally, you can finish it. Yep, yep, finally. <laughs> yeah, if you if you use the save state every five seconds, you might yes. be able to finish it. You might, might just might, yeah. Oh dear, yeah. that game, that game. Wow. Anyway, yes. <laughs> I mean, they made it worse on an NES. They made it worse. Like, how did you do? It, you're at home. Yeah, you're not putting every... coins in anymore. What are you doing? Like, uh, 
Every time I think of that game, I think of it with fondness until I play it, and then yeah. I realize why I haven't played it in so long. That's right, because you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an unplayable game. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with Borderlands 3. I understand it's it's good. You know, cool. it's, it's a good part of the uh, the pantheon of the Borderlands games, I think. It is? There are five now, I think. Uh, if you include Tales yeah. of the Borderlands. So, uh, yeah, Tales yeah of which... I, I enjoyed Tales from the Borderlands. I think, uh, I think I've played all the Borderlands games, actually. So that's... Yeah. I, that's unusual for me to have played everything in a series, but but um, I suppose that's one of the series that I have. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, for me, I can only count a very few. Like Diablo, I think we've all done that, haven't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really count, does it? It's a given. Right. It is. But, uh, right. Let's move on then to the second half where we delve deep into Infliction. So, Pinton, before we delve deep into said game, namely Infliction, mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, it's a game. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, so the way it's explained on my Steam page is that it's an interactive nightmare. And I think that description is quite apt, really. Um, it's a story-driven, you know, narrative exploratory adventure. Uh, horror themed um, I suppose the big difference with Infliction is that most horror games that I won't say most some horror games that tell a story usually opt for a lot of scripted events uh, with Infliction I throw some AI in there as well so a bit of uh, sort of inspiration from Alien Isolation I suppose um, with that but uh yeah, it's um story-driven game where you're, you have a tragedy revealed up front and you go back through time periods uh, to piece together the story about how they got to the tragedy. And, 
yeah, that's how I would describe the game. Yeah, it starts off really benign. Really benign. Although, it's interesting it's set, you know, about 20... Uh, sorry, it's about 10 years ago, isn't it? Uh, or is it 20? It's 20 years ago. Um, yeah, it's in 99. So it's 20, 20 years ago, which is yeah. like really makes me feel like a very old man at this point. But um, yeah, so it's it's the initial uh, event is set in 1999. The actual game goes much further back than that. It does, yes. But uh, yeah. it starts off in that in that time period. It's interesting to think that it's now nostalgic. Right? <laughs> but it is. There's things like, oh, look, there's a video recorder. Oh, look, oh, look there's big tapes and things. Oh, look, there's a big <laughs> CRT television in the living room. Oh, look at that. Look. Oh. He's like, oh, look, there's a phone with a cord. Oh, look. look there's actually correction. Oh, look, there's a phone. <laughs> yeah. All oh, right. There's there's a phone and there's um and there's a computer with like a beige CRT monitor, beige computer with a you know with a beige keyboard and a beige mouse. Who does that anymore? No one. Well, I don't know who thought beige was an attractive color to begin with, but no, uh, IBM clearly did. So that's, uh... <laughs> yeah, business machines. Yeah. They just, oh dear me, blandest color you can think of. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh yeah, it's just all the modem. I like that little touch. Like, look, fifty six K modem. There you go. I'm not I'm not well, spoiling much here. At least I don't think so. No I'm not. I no. It's all right. There's yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of um I, I suppose there's a lot of nostalgia in there for me. Uh it was it was an interesting exercise because uh I'm obviously Australian. And this game set somewhere in the United States. So when I was putting a lot of these items in this house, I had to usually do a bit of research to see if they existed in other countries at all. Um, you know, so there actually is a couple of items in there that people sort of call out as maybe not being from the United States. And one of them, I'm told, is a can of whiskey. In Australia, you can get a premixed can of whiskey with cola. And you can't get that in the United States, apparently. So. No, not, I'm not <laughs> familiar with either. So um, <laughs> must be an Australian only. Thing. Might be an Australian thing. Uh, but one one thing that struck me as a British person living in Europe, um, still contrary to what our government's trying to do, um, is uh, <laughs> this, I just what struck me is as I was wandering around the house at the beginning. Uh, which, uh, you know, like I said, it's definitely nods to gone home here is how freaking massive it is. <laughs> you know, it's the massive hallway and the, it's just massive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I know Americans have very large homes. I've been in them. And, uh, you know, for for us Europeans, space is optimum. And I did, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did make me sort of smile a bit when I got upstairs and there was a actual spare room, like, Oh, that's what they look like. <laughs> it's not a thing we're familiar with. Like a the word "spare" and "room" is not a thing Europeans are used to. Yeah, and like that's that's one of those things too, where I think that's potentially something that's it's it's reasonably common in Australia. It's not it's not necessarily super common, but um, you know, most most people here that don't live in the city. 
live in a home on a parcel of land that has usually a spare room and a double garage and, uh, and a laundry room and, you know, all of that. So um, I might be drawing on some of my own inspirations, but, you know, when I look at my own house, my own house isn't a mansion. And I actually did model my own house at first and walked around that, and it was way too small to set a game in. So uh, <laughs> there's that to keep in mind as well because most houses have a single hallway that go from one end to the other with no recourse, and yeah, this, that's this, not this, great. This place had a wing, I think, or two. I don't know. It was, it was great. Uh, but uh, it, it, you're right. It, right. It, uh, it really did sort of... Without such a large home, it wouldn't have had the ambiance that you tried to aim for. So there's another yeah. word for it. Atmosphere, <laughs> not ambiance, because that implies house... something twee. <laughs> <laughs> well, the size of the house also grew because uh, initially it was smaller. It was a different floor plan. Um, and I was doing some testing with the AI in there, but what I found was the layout of the floor plan, it was too difficult to be able to escape from the ghost a lot of the time if you got caught in one end of the house and it was at the other end. You sort of had no options. Um, so it was about sort of reading the floor plan a little bit so the ghost may take a different path and you'd potentially have a different path to take as well. So a couple of thought, options. You know, who'd have thought house designers would not have allowed for the possibility of you being chased by a demon from another place. Extremely, extremely inconsiderate, uh, I would say. Dear architects, please make sure your buildings are, uh, are designed for the expeditious um, use of uh, uh, running from yeah. a demonic-possessed thing. How dare yeah. you? In- in the case of said haunting, I would like to use the left wing as an escape route. Thank if you. You don't mind, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know design criteria. Just have it in a like a paragraph saying you know in the event of demonic possession. Uh, yeah. Break <laughs> glass and use route. the left wing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think we're done with that joke now. Let's move on. Absolutely. <laughs> Sound and distortion uh, of visuals are pretty much all of the day of horror. And uh, I just want to ask, when designing Infliction, how much have you lent into that, do you think? Uh, With sound, a lot. Um, So I'll cover the distortion of visuals first. I think distortion of visuals you can take in a number of ways. Um, You could look at a scary character's face and have it stretch and distort in ways that are unnatural. Or you could distort the overall image to make things not quite right. You can desaturize the color. You can add a whole bunch of effects. You can add a vignette to make it feel claustrophobic, all this sort of stuff. Um, I think that the distortion of visual effects is uh, always in an attempt to make the normal seem uncanny because... When you're looking at something that you recognize but it's a little bit twisted and not quite right, that's where the uncanny comes in and it, work, it works really well for horror, um, mostly because we're familiar with that thing but it's not quite the thing we think it is. <clears throat> it sort of reminds me of It, the movie, um, where that clown is trying to imitate what it thinks we think it should act like but it's never quite right. 
and that makes it a lot creepier. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry? Um, so, yeah, that's sort of where I come at it from the visual standpoint. And I think, like, with, with Infliction, um, if I could make anything a little bit strange, I definitely would lean into that heavily. Um, one of my mantras in making this was that if I was going to do something – if somebody didn't find it scary, I wanted them to find it weird and have it stick with them. So, um, yeah, that definitely leans into the visual stuff as well. Um, but when it comes to sound design, um, I leaned heavily into sound design because I believe the best horror is the horror you can't see. So um, in opposition of everything I just said, <laughs> um, when you see something that's not quite right, that's creepy and unsettling. When you can hear that thing, but you can't see it at all, uh, it's so much worse. Um, the build-up of tension, the tension and release cycle that you go through, uh, sound plays such a huge role in the build-up of tension uh, that, you know, the building of tension is where all the um, uncomfortable emotion comes from and, the te- well, the tension. Uh, once you see the thing, that's the release, right? So... Uh, once the tension's been released, you kind of feel better than you did previously. Um, but yeah, uh, I did a lot with sound in terms of um, making a lot of phantom sound and having things make a lot of noise around you, uh, really just to put the player on edge and not know what to expect next. Yeah, it does all those things. It does all those things. Yeah. I think uh, it's very early on. Very early on, sound is the first thing I found to be the most disturbing because you just like walked into a room and I heard footsteps behind. I'm like, what's that? Who's that? <laughs> oh, really? Oh. And then it is like, oh, really? Now? Already? It's like two minutes in. Seriously? <laughs> but you, of course, you had to do that. Of course, you had to do that. And it's, it's the best thing because sound is more potent because one's own mind is can be your own enemy and uh, well, your imagination goes runs off and you just exploit that because that's what you do that's what you know it's what you're here yeah. for you're playing, could... a, you know, playing a game called infliction for pity's sake <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and i could never create anything that is scarier to you than what you're conjuring up yourself so yeah. i'll leverage that for as long as i can uh yeah. in most cases I, I think... absolutely and the reason I want to talk about distortion, one of my favourite games of recent times uh, for playing with others, oddly enough, is a game called Vermintide, um, which is they've done two of them now, and uh, there's a relevance to this, bear with me, Clinton, because it's set in a Warhammer universe. It's not really scary; it's just quite funny because it's Warhammer. It's like you know, sort of dark sort of humour. Uh, but all the visuals, all the world, it looks like oh, it looks like a building. You look at it, and go, I, I really shouldn't be standing. <laughs> Because it's all distorted, and distorted, and people are, 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 are everything's slightly off. Everything, but yeah. Everything is slightly twisted and off, and like it's and that's because it's Warhammer, which everything is slightly twisted and off, and people aren't acting as they normally would act because none of them are normal or whatever normal means. But uh, yeah, it's and that for me is a great example. And what you've done here is that there's just sort of people my because what you've done here with visuals you it's much much more subtle you know you have this long corridor 
It's a long corridor in in the house. Of course there is. We're going back to the house design again. Sorry, everyone. And, uh, you know, barring putting twins at the end of the corridor, which, you know, you could. But that's just like, oh, look, he's done The Shining again. Uh, you, you know, which is the great, you know, when I go to hotels, every time I look down, I go, oh, please, no, no twins, no twins, please, no twins, <laughs> no twins. Oh, okay, I'm good, I'm good, no twins. Check for twins. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, or or a little kid with a little tricycle thing, but yeah. or an elevator full of blood. Yeah, yeah. Either way, either way. Yes, generally, don't don't want that. It's bad. Yeah. So. Let's talk about narrative. Sure. We've already hinted at this, but uh, it's not, it's not, you know, linear, <laughs> uh, really, in, in uh, infliction. At least I don't think it is. It's, it's quite disjointed. Was this always the intention, and why is this so? Um, it was always the intention, actually. Um, in, in some ways, it was. I knew from very early on that I wanted to show, I guess, the main plot point of why all this is happening right up front. So in many ways, if you're looking at the narrative in a linear sense, the ending comes first. Um, However, the way the story is told was technically not true. So it's going to get a little bit (laughs) weird and hard to explain. And I can explain some of this stuff because it's really near the start of the game. Um, at the start of the game, you're driving your car and you're going home. And you drive past the car accident. When you get home, some stuff happens and you leave the house. And then you have a car accident. So you're driving to the house in the start of the game is you're driving past your own accident. Because you yourself are potentially not on this plane of existence and everything you're going back to experience is being shown to you from the past, but you yourself are still in the present. You're being shown things that happened in the past, reliving them, I guess, in this construct. So it was definitely always intentional to have it that way. I didn't necessarily have it plotted out about how, what order it would go in or anything like that. I wanted it, I wanted it to make sense from uh, just from the perspective of like sort of being drip-fed drip fed information i suppose each level of the game i call them levels each level of the game is set in a different year and each year sort of has a theme or something that happened to this family to you um and so that level will be centered around that theme so when i was constructing the narrative i constructed it as a linear story um with a start like i i knew what the ending was first but I still constructed it as a linear story and sort of broke it out into chunks and rearranged it. And that's sort of how the narrative came to be somewhat non-linear. Yeah. Great. I, I think that that whole point of you seeing your own accident, I realised that, you know, it's like when, when the, the event happens, and I swear I've got to see this, but oh, wait. It was all very Fight Club-like. Like, oh, hang on. The reality <laughs> is not what you think it to be. And uh, you're you're looking on at something and everything starts to twist and, and change. You realise that this is this is uh, recalling events that when you recall events, they are never as, you, as they actually were. Hmm. 
Because it's always from your own point of view, and therefore it becomes twisted. Uh, for well, good or real. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And in this instance, you're sort of being I don't I don't explicitly explain this necessarily, but you're sort of being shown events by from someone else's perspective. Um if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> yeah. So um it is it is twisted um because it's coming from a place of anger and grief. So yeah. It's very it's very twisted. Such happy narratives I like to weave. Yes. Well happy fuzzy feelings Care Bears abound. So, <laughs> there is a sense of impending doom that pervades uh, infliction to the point where, in some cases, the player can feel somewhat helpless. Um, how do you prevent this tipping into apathy? Uh, I say this because uh, you feel like, oh, this is, this is, you know, we are talking about Ghosts and Goblins earlier on, and how it's, it's a game you cannot... Well, people do, and there's some amazing people who can actually get through that game in one sitting without actually losing a life. They're, these people do exist. But uh, <laughs> those strange people aside, uh, what, what, um, what do you do to stop? What do you think Infliction does to so, stop that from happening? Uh, so at first, my game was designed for the people that could do Ghosts and Goblins in one run. Um, and... Not not necessarily intentionally. I think for me, I really didn't want to handhold at all. I just wanted the player to go in and explore and figure it out. Uh, but what happened was um, I did a bunch of playtesting right before I released the game, which was a really smart thing to do. Um, so a whole bunch of the feedback that came back from the playtesting helped me to mitigate a little bit more of this. But I did have some other systems already in play which I'll cover in a moment. But basically, as you go through the game, there's very specific items and artifacts that are important to the story. Um, the general expectation from me was that you'd explore the house and you'd find these things. Uh, but with the playtesters, um, for some people, they loved exploring the house and finding things. And then for other people, they really wanted to know whether something had significance or if it was just a mundane can of soup. Uh, that they were looking at. Um, and for those people, I actually made some of the items sort of um, light up and flash. So you can, you can see, like you're looking around the house, you can explore and pick up everything. Everything's there for a reason. There's a lot of other narrative going on other than the main story. But if you're looking for the main story only, you can go to these items that flash and they'll give you the main story and in some cases they'll progress you. Um, but the other systems I have in play is that if you're in a particular area of the game where you can be killed, if you get killed more than three times um, and you walk near the phone, it'll ring and it'll give you a hint as to what to do next. So that was a system I sort of had implemented, I guess, some sometime during beta. Um, yeah, and uh, so I've got this sort of a phone call mechanic where you'll get a call from a helpful you know, disembodied voice on the phone that will sort of give you some cryptic clue as to what you need to do next. Um, on top of which, you also get a camera in the game. Um, pretty, definitely in the first half of the game, pretty early on. Um, if you take photos of walls and stuff, you'll see clues that are written 
on the walls in the photographs that you can't see with the naked eye. Yeah, it's very clever. So, very clever yeah, thanks. Um, so there's that element, but also in order to make the player, so those are things to help the player progress. Uh, the things that help the player against the antagonist, um, uh, so about halfway through the game, you'll get one of those helpful phone calls and they'll tell you that you're not actually helpless. You can fight the spirit off with tools that you've had since the start of the game. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you aren't completely helpless um, and you can use the camera against the ghost as well. But so it's, it's, it's There are sort of subtle hints as to what you can and cannot do to to uh, fight your way against this this being, apart from your own wills and, and wits. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but uh, until that point, there is a, you know the, the, the same time. This, the game is trying to tell you that ultimately, yes, you are helpless, and you know, this is all going to end well, quite badly. <laughs> ult- ult- ultimately, you're in a place where you. Your your situation in the story is that you potentially once held a lot of power over an individual and now they hold all the power over you. So the theme of the story in many ways is totally that you are helpless, literally in the sense of the word of not having control over your situation, Yeah. Um, yeah. not just against a spooky, scary thing also. And I think that's another thing I tried to sort of lean into with this particular game. I tried to ground it in some sort of real sort of horrible stuff that can happen to families and people do happen every day. So that feeling of power powerlessness is, it's an intentional one. It's not a pleasant one necessarily. No, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely have systems in place so that, you know, to try to mitigate anybody that might feel, frustrated you know if they're because the the ghost is uh quite a surmountable foe um she's not messing around so yeah um you know and some look some people do get frustrated and i think that um yeah i've i've done everything that i can to (laughs) sort of mitigate any sort of frustrations that might come out of that sort of situation and uh, for, for the most part, people enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I could have hoped for. Yeah. So the last question then. Uh, we did talk about this a little bit in the virtual green uh, green room, everyone, uh, because the, the question was a little bit. No, it was ambiguous. <laughs> there was ambiguity in the question, so we had to get some clarification. So I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. As that uh, as one delves further into a game like Infliction, but Infliction uh, specifically as well, is that you get used to the lexicon. There is a, a language that you, you know, the further you get in, the more you play, the more you know what you can do, and more importantly, what you can't do. And uh, human beings, humans, then become used to or more comfortable with is what is... You know, the it shouldn't be. Um, so, I I believe, well, it's my intent, my my interpretation of my experiences with infliction is, uh, it's sound design is the key tool you use to overcome the sense of 
you know, full sense of comfort. Like, oh, you think you've got this? <laughs> no, you've no idea. You've no idea. Um, tell us how you've uh, developed the sound design to so well to a point where never, the players never really felt uh, never really left to, to their own devices, if you will. Sure. Um, I do. I'm going to try and explain some of this without getting too spoilery, I guess. Um, I think um, so, so much of uh, how you feel in a horror game is related directly to what you're not seeing and the tension and the sound and all that sort of stuff. So I tried to do a lot of things subliminally with, with that idea. So, uh, for example, pretty early on the, in the game, you end up in a world that's mirrored and everything's backwards, including the audio. And it's kind of like a good example of how I treated audio. Um, so the audio in this particular area plays backwards because everything is backwards. And if you hear voices in this area, they're also backwards. Um, and to hear it, most people don't notice it necessarily. As soon as they are told that that's what it is or something like that, they can totally hear it and they get it. And I think a lot of that plays into, you know, the subconscious mind. I think that people are definitely hearing that the sound's off because it's backwards, but they're not consciously thinking about why it might be backwards. Um, and I'm sure some people totally are, but, yeah, um, there's there's that sort of thing. There's, there's areas of the game too where... Um, you know, I take you out of the house. You might end up in an environment like a police station, for instance. And the reason that you're in the police station is related to some horrible stuff. The soundscape that is in the police station that when you're there is made up of a layered sound effects sort of uh, soundscape of different sounds that relate to the themes as to why you're there. So... Um, yeah, even the sound design tells a story, makes you feel uneasy, and um, you'll pick up hints of sounds that are coming from things that are, have direct correlation to where you are. So, and I don't mean like you know, there's a phone and then it rings. I mean, yeah, much much deeper than that. So, yeah, um, I lent into that super super heavily, and I had a great time doing it. Um, I've never, uh, I've never had any formal training in audio, so it was just kind of a fun experimental exercise for me, and um, yeah, I really, I really dug it. And there's just, yeah, there's so many different themes and areas of the game that are, you know, around specific subjects, and the sound leans straight into those themes, um, even if it's not obvious, it's it's all there. So, and I think that plays into all of it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite extraordinary to hear you having any training in it because obviously you've absorbed the the genre and medium quite well. So that probably subtly you know influenced you in some way, and you studied it objectively, whether you liked it or not, as you were you know playing this stuff or watching or or reading, and that's just led to go oh, well. Therefore, this encourages this kind of reaction to me. Therefore, this happens. Or oh, I should do it like this. And uh, yeah, you don't have to be, you know, formally trained to do this stuff. If you 
if you're familiar with the genre enough, then you know there's the result. Absolutely, I think. So sorry, go ahead. I just think it's quite a, a testament to your uh, patience and uh, tenacity and an understanding of detail, because that's what I get from Infliction. There's the person who made it, which is yourself, Linton, is somebody who really understands the power or the importance of minutia. Yeah, um, if you want people to relate to a world you're creating, it needs to be relatable. And what's more relatable than minutia? Yeah, because we're surrounded by things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, I will I will say this as well. Um, I would never again undertake a game project by myself where I have to populate an environment with minutia because... There is a reason that most games create a bookshelf and the books are all just one mesh on the shelf and that's it. Um, in Infliction, you can pick up the books and read them and all of that, which is great and it's what I always wanted, but um, I had to write stories. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it really became uh, quite quite the exercise to populate this house with minutia, and I can say that when I first started game development, I didn't necessarily think about sitting down and sort of modeling and texturing a whole bunch of kitchen condiments or something really mundane because it's not necessarily a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it's fun getting it all in there and seeing it all come together. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a, a large task and I definitely have a better understanding as to you know why games are often limited in certain ways because if the environment was a really big one, um, if it was a mansion with several wings, uh, I'd probably still be working on it now. So, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the book thing. I always sort of cite uh, Skyrim. Someone had to write all those stories. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, there are... Yeah. There is an achievement, probably. No, I think there is where you actually get a whole volume of of a collection of stories and manage to take it home and put it in your in a bookshelf. People do that. Sure, they they do that. <laughs> in you know, that's that's the thing that people still do. You know, because that's a game that keeps on giving. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, sure, all, it sure does. <laughs> after all hey. these years. Oh, well, I've, I've, I'm guilty of buying that game at least three times, probably. So, yeah, yeah. I'm part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've only got it twice. No, three, I've got three times, damn it. I do have the PC yeah. version because, for me, that's like when I got it, when it came out, that was like the default version because my argument was you could see further. It is true. <laughs> it was true. You've, all, you know. you've also got the mods, so... Yeah. Yeah, well, back when um, it came out, I didn't really consider that. I was just more, more insistent on the... I could see far away! Absolutely. Uh, and then there's the VR version, and then I eventually got the console version, probably from a you know a back of a free thing. I don't know. A subscription of some sort, of which there are many now. Thanks, Apple. Anyway! <laughs> <laughs> Infliction by Caustic Reality, which is, by the way, a great name for a, a studio development thing where did he come up with it the question when I uh, sure um thank you yeah i was i had came up with several studio names um the first 
issue I had when coming up with the name was do I come up with a name at all because I'm one person. Um, but ultimately I think that I wasn't necessarily super keen to put myself in front of everything. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more of a behind-the-camera sort of a guy. So I'm, I'm usually, um, you know, not I'm not usually like – putting myself sort of front and center necessarily. So come up with a name I had to do and I was just – every name I came up with was taken. Um, you know, and even if it's taken in another country, I, I could still register a business in Australia and everything. But, I, you know, I, I didn't want to – I didn't want to do that. I wanted to come up with something that was my own. So I kept thinking but um, it came about because uh, when most people think of caustic, they think of like something to do with acid or burning – um, but for me, I was studying art at the time and I was thinking about, I was, I was working on something that was an underwater laboratory and I, I created an effect that, you know, basically when the sun hits the ocean and shines through the window of this underwater laboratory, you get those sort of dancing caustics on the ground, uh, that you see at the bottom of like a swimming pool or something like that. Okay. Um, so they're called water caustics, that effect, and it's just the refraction of the sunlight uh, with the water. So um, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how it sort of distorts and everything and then uh, it led me straight to sort of like, oh, it's like distorted reality, caustic reality. That's how it came to be. <laughs> Fantastic. I like asking that question. It's a recent innovation <laughs> to the show because the – uh, 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 one of the, the hosts of Cana Rinse or founders of Cana Rinse, uh, Jay, he said to me, "Why don't you ask about the name of the show? Why are they called Yellow Pig? I don't know. <laughs> just, 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 oh. like, just, just ask them. I don't know if we had a developer called Yellow Pig, but you know what I mean. It's like, well, why? So I've, I've taken to ask, and it's been always been revealing, and that's a fantastic response to that. He's right. Thanks, Jay. So yeah, thanks. I like that yellow yellow pig. Yeah, <laughs> why is it yellow? I don't know. I just took a random color, random animal, and jammed them together, and there you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's there's so many um, there's so many like uh, game studio generators online yes. that do exactly that. Do exactly that. Um, yeah. And I actually tried to use one when I was struggling to come up with anything, and right. uh, it, it didn't prove fruitful for me because everything that came out didn't mean anything to me as a person. No, so, exactly. um, you know, but still a fun exercise. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. It's like the Daily Mail headline creator. Anyway, uh, <laughs> don't know where we're with that. Now, I've got this wrong in the past, so I'm going to ask you as guests, could you tell me what platforms Infliction's out on, please? Sure. Um, plan to be potentially okay. <laughs> sure. So it's currently out on Steam now. Um, so yeah, if you jump on Steam and look up Infliction, you'll see it there. Um, it is coming soon to PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Uh, okay. And uh, that's thanks to um, so I released Infliction on uh, PC and. Um, I began porting, which is uh, – that's a task on to do on your own. Um, I ended up, uh, yeah, signing up with a publisher and helping me port it. So, um, yeah, Blowfish Studios are bringing it to all the consoles, which is super awesome, uh, and it's progressing really nicely. Um, so, yeah, I got to play it on, like, the PlayStation 4 the other day, and 
that's you know it's kind of like a dream fulfillment in a lot of ways you know so yeah it's really cool i'm excited to see it come to the consoles i, I did i have a fun fun moment because i was playing it with mouse and keyboard but my of course my controller's always plugged in <laughs> right okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen I've seen, uh, I've seen YouTubers and streamers have this problem, and it's pretty hilarious when it happens. Yeah, it's like, wait, what's going on? Oh, off it goes, and he just goes, it flew off my table. Like, yeah, that's 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 timely. <laughs> it's, you know, because uh, I I'm a big fan of uh, mouse and keyboard for certain games. Uh, Doom sure. is my favorite for that. The latest one, the one in 2016, I think it is. Sure. That that game. Personally, I think plays better with a mouse and keyboard because you can snap around, my friend, and it's just also it's also a case of point, shoot, point, shoot. Whereas controllers, uh, you have a different sort of mechanic. But yeah, it just took me by surprise. So like, that was funny because it's like a poltergeist sort of throwing my controller off the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some I've seen some funny videos of people that have gotten their like wireless controllers and it's it's in their drawer. Yeah, and you know their their desk is vibrating when stuff's happening in the game. Yeah, <laughs> so that's like a really to- totally on purpose, of course, right? Oh um, yeah, totally. You you really uh, preempted that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's 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 a really fun sort of side effect that is. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> people to this day, people do actually because the controller is now almost synonymous with all platforms, regardless. Uh, of of them, uh, people think, oh, everyone's playing with a controller, right? But they forget there's a lot of us that aren't, and we're just still using the mouse and keyboard for reasons. Uh, and, hmm. uh, and it's like, oh, there it goes. <laughs> it just, and it, and I was like, because I was playing in, in, in low light with headphones, because that's the best way to play Infliction. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was doing that, and that's therefore I couldn't really see my controller. You see. And uh, then when it when it went off, I just looked at it and it, initially it was a bit of a shock, and it just made me chuckle like, uh, uh, <laughs> "Okay, uh, can I turn the vibration off?" Hang on, <laughs> and you, you can't, you can't. It's quite funny. It's like, no. Okay, no, 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 you can't, you can't turn it off. I went into immediately went into the mix because that's another thing that uh, we we PC gamers do. We the first thing we dive into is the options because that's what you do. Yep. You go okay. Can we, we, can't turn it off. What's this about? <laughs> oh man, I know what he's doing. Because <laughs> I, I may be, because you know we've met. Like, oh, where he go to Clinton? Where he go? Because <laughs> I wouldn't turn. I wouldn't allow you to turn it off either. <laughs> it's like no. no, 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 no yeah. Just get a producer say you whether like it or not. <laughs> yep. Into, in, totally intentional. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and the options. The options. Uh, so it's funny you should say like you know PC players dice change any options because they do and um, yeah several of the updates on sort of PC that I've released have been around feedback to do in options and stuff like that. So that's like an ever growing part of the game, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess coming into it, I didn't. You know, I'm, I'm. I've always been more of a console gamer, so. Yeah, uh, I, I play games on PC, um, yeah. usually particularly shooters because it's easier with the mouse. But yeah, um, I definitely learned sort of pretty quickly. Baptism by fire, uh, PC gamers do love their options. So yeah, <laughs> I've tried to sort of add as many of them in as I could that you know uh, don't sort of break my vision for the game or anything like that. So uh, yeah, yep. Uh, if anybody's playing it, I'll let you know straight up. There is no field of view slider, so. 
Yeah, sorry. sorry. That's I'm how honest. it is. <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, oh, you crank the gamma up. You're a bad person. <laughs> Why are you playing this game? Anyway, so Infliction, it's out on, on many things on Windows PC, which is what I played it on, as you can hear. But it's coming out on all the other standard platforms. And, uh, of course, two of which are going to die. I say die in the next year because we've got new, you know, probably new platforms heading our way in 2020, I would have thought. Probably right. I think yeah. I think they'll be backwards compatible though. So yeah, this time oh. around they will be. Last time, yeah, yeah. The PS4 went. You know what? PS3 was a bit weird. Yes, it was. We're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna forget that. Yeah, because you need two jobs to own one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, that's anyway. What, that came straight from Sony PR. I think it did. So. It did. It did. <laughs> as well as but, giant uh, enemy crab. So on that note. <laughs> Um, Clinton's been really really fun having you on the show I hope you enjoyed your time here I, I know I did I did, thank you Chris for having me that's right and uh, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about what other game you've developed in the time since and we have had return guests uh, because the show's been going for that long so, well, I will uh, be I will be happy to return upon a new game announcement. Yes, yeah, yeah, probably be happy Blue Sky game. I don't know, <laughs> complete <laughs> antithesis of what you've done previously. Or maybe I, not. I don't I, know. I, I, I couldn't say at this point, <laughs> no. but uh, I will say one day. Right? Yes. No, please don't. I'm not going to tease it out of you. I just wanted to use the word "happy blue sky" because it made me made me smile. Yeah, uh, bunny rabbits and rainbows. That's right, and cat bears. So, <laughs> uh, on that very strange note, thanks very much, Clinton. Thank you, Chris. 